0: Episode 83. This is the Business Generals Podcast. We chat with amazing entrepreneurs every single week to help you maximize your startup business ideas, take control of your personal finances, and get the most out of your professional career. Subscribe to the show and check out businessgenerals.com for full show notes, free tools, and killer resources to help you on your journey to maximizing your business dreams. And now, your host, Davis Mutabwa.
1: Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Business Journals Podcast where I chat with amazing entrepreneurs every single week. If you have not already done so, remember to click subscribe on your podcast player so that you do not miss an episode. This is Davis Mutabwa here, your host, I am very, very excited today to bring you our featured guests, Mr. Gil Addo and Mr. Carlos Reigns. Gentlemen, welcome to the Business General's Podcast.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Excited to be here. Thank you.
1: Amazing. It's not always um, the case that we have two special guests on the show, so this is going to be a really nice one. Um, Gil and Carlos are joining us from New York. They are the co-founders of Rubicon MD, which is a US-based online e-consult platform that allows primary healthcare providers such as doctors to access special clinical expert opinions almost immediately rather than waiting weeks or months for a patient to see a specialist. That's a really great platform. I'll kick it off with you, Gil. Why don't you tell us who are you outside of business and then we'll switch it over to Carlos as well.
2: Yeah, thanks again for having us. Um, So uh, outside of business, um, I'll just give you a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm originally from Connecticut. Um, Both my parents are immigrants. My father was from uh, Ghana in the West Africa. My mother from Barbados in the West Indies. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm just from Connecticut. A math science geek growing up. ended up studying um, new field biomedical engineering. Um, I have one brother. He's a uh, physician in practice in Florida, a radiologist. Mm-hmm. Uh, I live with my, uh, my wife in the city.
1: Nice. Carlos?
3: Sure. Uh, I am originally from Spain, born and raised in, in Madrid. Grew up with um, a passion for technology applied to healthcare. So I ended up uh, deciding to become a biomedical engineer. And I completed the program in between Spain and the Netherlands. And after that, I um, worked at uh, Siemens Medical in Pennsylvania. And then I work in technology for a few years before um, going to business school. And then it was in 2013 when I met Gil at, um, uh, in Boston. And we started the company together. I still live in uh, the city as well. I'm in Brooklyn in mm-hmm. our office in uh, Manhattan.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks for that. So, so, Carlos, how long have you guys been in business full-time for yourselves?
3: So, we met in um, March of 2013. At that time, I was um, completing my MBA at Harvard Business School, and Gil had graduated also from Harvard Business School, a few years ahead of me. We actually met at a hack and medicine event at MIT, and Gil was pitching this idea, which um, I got excited about. We got to know each other, and we um, decided to start the company. So it's been a little over four years
1: since we started Rubicon MD. That's that's huge. And uh, what made you get into that pathway of going to, to Harvard, Gil?
2: As I mentioned, I was a, a math-science geek growing up, and um, – very passionate about healthcare and I, I can kind of get back to some personal experience uh, that got me really interested mm. uh, in how do we provide better access to care. Um, but I was going down the path of being a, a bench researcher and a, a scientist and had managed a, a lab. And I decided that the problem of working in a lab was just that you got so far into the weeds of one area that you start to lose the forest for the trees I really wanted to get out and understand how do you commercialize the things that we're developing in the lab. So uh, there's this idea of a shelf patent. Um, And what it is is somebody goes and they buy uh, the patent to something that's uh, being researched in the lab. Mm -hmm. And they buy it and they put it on the shelf such that it doesn't compete with uh, the things that they have in development. I mean, you think about that, that's really disheartening and it's kind of slowing innovation, Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to get out and understand how do you get things from the lab into the communities and into the hands of people that need them. And so I got really interested in the commercialization of science. So I went and applied to business school out of college. I did my undergrad at Yale. Um, I applied to business school when I worked for a couple of years before that or between the two after applying. And I worked for Xerox and investor relations. And then I wanted to get back to healthcare after that. And so I wanted to get back to the area which I was passionate about. And so while I was in business school, I was looking for opportunities and finding ways to get back into healthcare.
1: Very interesting. I wanna I wanna pause for a quick second and just ask you gentlemen to probably because somebody might be listening and they're thinking Harvard. I've heard a lot about Harvard or Yale. Um, and but for you, Carlos, you, you graduated, I believe, out of Spain um, or maybe not, but. How was that journey for you to getting into such sort of a, a great university around the world that um, is renowned? Um, was that a big process? Was that an easy process? How how did it all work? I know it's probably a long process, but maybe just in a quick nutshell, just to enlighten somebody who might be listening from around the world and thinking maybe, gee, one day I might, I might want to get into, into such a place like Harvard.
3: Sure, sure. I uh, definitely have a n- non-traditional background here as I had. Completed before that, as you say, my master's, uh, my bachelor's in engineering in Spain, and then my master's in biomedical engineering in the Netherlands. Mm. And for me, it, it truly was always a passion about technology applied to healthcare through personal experiences. Uh, I was also exposed to the impact that someone can have on a person's quality of life through a technology intervention. So started my career in, in health IT and treatment medical in the US, and then I was Back in Madrid working for Telefonica, which is one of the largest telecom companies in the world. Mm -hmm. And I was part of their global technology office. And after spending a few years um, developing my skills, mostly around the technology and technical issues, I really wanted to get some more business education because I was uh, very interested in collaborating with many other areas. And that's what took me to, um, to Harvard Business School. And the minute I got in, I really wanted to go back to health IT. And at that time, I had already been part of two very large companies, such as Siemens and Telefonica. So I really wanted to start um, a company myself. Mm-hmm. And that's how we started
1: Rubicon MD. Right. So just on that Harvard process, was that a, a huge process or was that a simple process for you?
3: No, it, it is a process. Obviously, you need to first understand what it is, which is not as common for you know other countries. Uh, I think there's less of an understanding of what it takes and what it entails to go through the application process. Mm. It does require some work and um, a good amount of luck to get in. I think they mentioned that every year they get thousands and thousands of applications, and even if they were to admit twice as many people as they do, they would still have a superb program. So I think it's a combination of uh, you know having a, the right profile, the right interest, putting a lot of work, and um, and still being being lucky
2: through the process.
1: Love it. Thanks for that, um, Gil, Let's let's switch out back into the business. What are your core business um, revenue streams today?
2: Yeah, sorry, I, w- I was going to answer the question about uh, about the lucky getting into Harvard. Do it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> actually, well, I'll, uh, I'll share about our our revenue streams, but I'll, I'll mention one thing about it, which is I thought interesting when I was applying. I actually didn't apply to Harvard at first. mm Mm-hmm. I was, you know, coming out of college and just assumed, you know, you're not, you're not going to get into Harvard. Uh, I was, I was, maybe twenty one, twenty, twenty one when I was applying. To, I was twenty still when I was applying. So, yeah, that's that's a given. Um, but I had a, my mother was, um, she was a stay at home mother and went back to school and she went to law school while I was in school mm. and so she graduated with a law degree. And she was really big on the fact that you have to have a doctorate. You know, mm. she thought you know, the next stage in, in this country, um, the bachelors will be table stakes, and you'll really need to have a doctorate degree. Um, and so she's a you know, huge proponent of education. Had come here as an immigrant, mm. worked, put herself through community college, and then put herself through four years to bachelors, and then gone back to school to put herself through law school. And so she worked pretty hard to put herself through school. Mm. Um, and so he was really big. I, I couldn't stop until I would put myself through, or not put myself, but um, gotten through a doctorate degree. So I was actually applying to law schools, um, but I, I knew what I was interested in and I was interested in the business. And so I was adding law school kind of as a, a flexible degree because I was told I needed to have a doctorate. <laughs> um, and then I started getting in is the you know the craziest thing. I actually turned out I was good enough to get in. And once I started getting in, I still, "I got to take a shot at the best. And so that's when I applied to Harvard and then they would turned out, like, there was a program where they were accepting people out of college with a deferred admissions, mm-hmm. um, having to launch the program, but they were testing it out. Um, and both my, me and, and my roommate um, at the time got in through that. And so we got, you know, obviously there's a great degree of luck. And I tell people if we had applied you know, two years later, which was the height of the financial recession, we wouldn't we would not have gotten in um, <laughs> that way in two thousand eight. So we just we got lucky as well. Yeah. But um, but it was actually it's very interesting to think back now, as, as you ask on just what it what it entailed. And I actually, after getting into business school, decided I didn't want to continue through and, and do law school. So I never even uh, pursued that further. Um, but it was. I could have been in another life um, sitting here with a, a law degree from some other institution. Mm. Uh, but things work out fortunately.
1: Thanks for sharing that. So let's switch to your core revenue streams. What do they look like today?
2: Uh, yeah, so as a Rubicon MD, if I just take a step back, so what we do is we help provide better access to specialist expertise. And so this came out of um, a shared passion that Carlos and I have for. How do you get people in the community settings access to the right expertise? What we found is that almost half of the things that get sent to specialists could be handled in primary care. So all of those things where you go see the specialist and they try this treatment first line and it resolves the issue. And then all the things where people don't get to the specialist until um, it's too late in the process. So we were really, really big on trying to find ways to enable that better access. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a grandmother based in Barbados. She, when I was growing up, she developed a brain tumor, and she came up to Boston for surgery. Mm-hmm. and Then she went back and forth for the post-op over the next five years. Um, and so we got really interested in how do you provide better access to the expertise that sits in these areas um, out in the community setting, mm-hmm. and that was what kind of prompted Rubicon MD. And if you think about that as the business, the challenge is not the technology. It's trying to figure out how to get that technology and get the expertise out into the communities. And so we work through insurance companies um, and health systems. So either a large provider system or health plans. Um, and that's where our revenue is generated. To get this to scale, um, we became you know, we raised money. So we're venture-backed. And we've raised about 7 million a little more than that to really get this out into the groups that matter and the groups that need this and so the health plans and the health systems pay for it
1: got it so it's basically targeted not so much at the individual consumer level but at the corporations sort of b2b yeah exactly very cool so that that's really interesting and i love the fact that you've both got a deep passion in what you're doing but you still had to find a way around making sure it gets um, executed on. So, so, Carlos, you know, you've, you guys have come up with the idea. You've listened to, to Gil pitching it, and then you've connected over over that story. What were the steps in getting the business launched um, if we go back four years ago?
3: Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's a great question. The, the, the beginning was, uh, was very interesting. So the first thing that we set out to do is to prove that this was actually solving a need that um, connecting primary care providers to specialists would solve a problem and help providers practice um, at the top of their license. And that's what we did. We found a first uh, provider who had someone. So Gil said he has a brother who's a doctor Mm. and he had uh, with another doctor who ran a clinic in Connecticut. And that was the first person who ever used Rubicon MD. So we put a basic um, MVP on the technical front and recruited a few specialists and the specialties that we thought would be most relevant. And we started that uh, small pilot and we ran it for a few months. We did about a couple hundred um, e-consults and then we sat down with a provider and he said, guys, this is amazing. This is truly transformative. I've had more doctor to doctor interactions in the last two months than I've, than I've had in the last 10 years. Mm. And furthermore, this is helping my patients tremendously, particularly those patients who are uninsured or from um, underserved communities and have no access to care at all. My only option is to send them to the ER and um, they're benefiting tremendously from um, from this platform. And that's uh, that was the first proof point that we were onto something that added a lot of value to the clinicians. And then it was all about building a business around it and understanding the complexities of the business model specifically in you know the American healthcare sector is incredibly fragmented and complex so it was a, a lot of things to figure out but uh, once we knew we had a solution that added a ton of value to the clinicians, we were certain that we were onto something um, really big
1: uh, and Gil, how did you find that first paying customer because I guess you got the pilot that um, Carlos has just walked us through which I love because you've identified somebody within your network who's able to provide you that sort of initial test position and that initial feedback. And then uh, how did you transition to get your first paying provider?
2: You know, We were at a point in the business. This was, So we launched the business in mid-2013, mm-hmm. June 2013. Um, and through the end of 2013, we'd gotten to this point where we'd shown two things, as Carlos said. We'd shown that when you give this to a physician, to a primary care doctor, um, that they love it, and we've shown that we'd shown that it provided a ton of value. So we 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 saw the platform, and what we got to read the cases, we got to really understand what was behind the forty percent avoiding unnecessary services, and to really see the impact on for patients. Uh, and so we got to the end of twenty thirteen, and we said, "Well, this is all you know, well and good, but." Um, You know, you you can't build a business on mission. You have to build a business on solid fundamentals. And so we had to figure out who would buy it. Mm -hmm. Um, So we entered an accelerator uh, here in New York called Blueprint Health, uh, really focused on how do we find that first customer. Uh, And so we went back to the drawing board. We talked to any and everybody that we could. We had a really good network, but we really just hustled and said, we need to talk to this person who works for, you know, Anthem, for example. And so to talk to them, we needed to go talk to this person who knew somebody who could then put us in touch with their cousin, who could talk to this person whose boss was previously there at Anthem. And then they'd connect us in. And so it was a lot of just, just hustling to find the right person to talk to. And then we talked to as many people and in, in as many places in the healthcare ecosystem as we could. Uh, and while we were there, we, or while we were kind of on this listening tour, we were also trying to sell. So we were, we said, you know, this is what we have. Um, the best way to get somebody to, to, under, to get market research on whether or not somebody would buy this is to try to sell it to somebody. Mm. And so we were trying to sell it to everybody under the sun. And what we figured out is that the groups that are essentially at risk, so that are taking ownership for a population, of patients in primary care are going to interested in this. And then we lucked into this other thing, which is if you're an early stage company with an innovation, um, you don't have a lot of data and feedback that says that this works mm. because by definition you're early. Um, and so the people that are going to take a chance on you are the people that have a burning need and have already kind of shown themselves in other senses to be innovators, That's to right. be interested in taking risks. To provide, in this case, better care. And so we ended up lucking into connecting with these groups that were in a really innovative primary care practices. And we connected through um, an angel investor of ours, uh, Trevor Price, through Oxyon. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they came in and they connected us to our very first customers. And I can remember the day that we got up there and got the signed contract. Mm-hmm. Um, Carlson, I traveled there. And then we just kind of pitched. And they said, well, how would you price it? And we kind of made something up while we were there um, after we showed the ROI. And they said, okay, we'll, we'll take it. Mm-hmm. And we uh, we signed our first customer, which was uh, – there are two groups that were right at the beginning, but the group Iora Health, which is based in uh, Boston. And we've grown with them, mm. and we've grown quite a bit. Um, and their growth has been ours, and they were an innovator, and they stayed with us. Or now almost four years
1: so that's huge and thanks for sharing that and and so carlos during this time are you guys working full-time in rubicon md or you're doing it part-time and how are you getting cash flow
3: so uh since we started been full-time at it i for the i guess for the first months uh i was still in business school but i was uh definitely spending more time on the business than i was uh spending on uh any school related activities right. um and uh, which oh, almost got me in trouble a little bit um and then Gil was uh, full time and yeah it's uh it was it was hard so initially it was uh leaving up uh, some savings and uh maintaining a very very lean structure both the company <laughs> and ourselves personally yeah because uh, that's uh that's the only way to start at least yeah. until we had proven that this is something that added value and that um, people were interested, we didn't go out and um, started raising capital. So definitely very, very uh, difficult beginnings, mm. but at the same time, very exciting to be launching something.
1: And at what point in the business did you go out and, and start to access funding?
2: We, uh, we started looking to sell the product beginning of 2014. Mm-hmm. And that was when we really went out and started Raising money before that in the through 2013. Essentially, what we did was we said we're going to go out and we're going to try to first prove that doctors will use this, then prove that it'll save money, and then prove that somebody will pay for that savings. And so, got to the end of 2013 and we've proven two of the three. Mm -hmm. But after we proved the first one, we said we need money to run a slightly larger test to show that it will save. And so we took a little bit of money from one angel. His name is uh, Bob Lafrano. We call him our super angel. Mm. I funded our initial pilot. He's the former CEO of um, Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida. I mean, we got to him through, you know, some luck and some hustle. And then Carlos got to meet him on a Saturday. And I'll let him share that, that story of how that happened. But we ended up basically taking his money as our first seed money and it was just enough to run the pilot. So through all 2013, we uh, just kind of lived off of uh, some savings and some amount of luck. And then in uh, 2014, we started to raise money fairly aggressively. And then we raised, by the end of the year, about a million and a half to really get things going. But it was, I, I'd be lying if I just said 2013 wasn't challenging. It was a, I think if you were to ask me the most challenging part about building this business, it's the personal sacrifices mm. that are really required to to grow. I mean I had a then girlfriend, you know, end of the year fiance and then and now wife and the sacrifices necessary for her and for you know, for me, um, to really help growing the business or, you know, those are the things that don't kind of show up when you kinda of th- talk about the growing of a business or the development of a business, but I think those are those are the real considerations. And so yeah, 2013 was more challenging personally, but the business side was what energized. We saw things moving. It was hard, but this is what we wanted to do. It's literally what we wrote our business school essay is about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and just to add to what Gila said, all
3: those challenges on the personal side, the way you balance them with the business is by surrounding yourself with the best people who can really help advance the business. And that is exactly. We were incredibly lucky to to find Bob Lefrano because he's been a phenomenal mentor since day one. He's someone who is a doctor, understands the business side, and has uh, he was the former CEO of Blue Cross Blue Shield of Florida, um, so he understands the the space very well. Mm. But most importantly, he's uh, proven to be an excellent mentor for both Gil and I, helping us through the different phases of the business the initial stages, understanding the, the business, how to look at the space, healthcare providers, healthcare payers. And as we've grown as a company, he's um, always been there available for for coaching and mentoring. And having someone of that level next to you makes them, you know, the day-to-day challenges a lot uh, easier to digest, not only because you're getting the actual help, but also, um, you know, when someone is that supportive in the process, it gives you energy to keep going.
1: Mm. And and I love you know you both both t- touched on the challenges which um which I was going to ask you next. And it's one thing to write a, um, a business thesis, a case study, or propose a business plan. Then it's another thing to live it out. And then one of those challenges is how do you find the right mentors and how do you find the right people to to help support you along the way personally, especially from a mindset perspective. And it has been said a lot of people would go out and seek seed funding from the people who will also not just provide the money, but they'll also provide access to, to themselves and provide that mentorship, which which I think you guys have found along the way. Um, so, Sigil, what would you say was the most challenging period where you guys may have thought, you know, this is probably not going to go any further and it's, it's probably best that we just going to look for, you know, go back to the lab and just work for somebody else?
2: Once we saw what the product was again, neither one of us is physicians, so we' we're, we're not clinical in, by, in nature. but once we saw what this was in the hands of providers, and the value that it was creating and the, the impact it was having on patients, uh, and how much of a delight it was, the physician perspective, that like we weren't yeah. paying providers to tell us these things. <laughs> once we saw that we knew we were onto something. And then the challenge was just how do you build a business around that interaction? And that's the challenge we want. That's what we're, we're trained to do. That's what we understand that those are the problems and challenges that we can, we can deal with. So I don't think that there's ever been a question from our our perspective on whether or not we keep pushing the business. I think we've always known that from very early on that there's an opportunity there here Mm -hmm. um, and and that there's, Clear need and we're creating something of great great value. Uh, so once we have, and we're not—it's not entrepreneurial blinders. We we see it. We get to read it. We get to you know interact with the providers that are using it. So I don't think that we've had that challenge. I think what we have had to balance is you know how do you build a business in the context of a life, right? Mm. Um, Carlos is now recently engaged. You know, getting married. I don't know if I'm able to break the news here on the press. Uh, <laughs> But uh, his fiance knows. so I think the the important person knows. I think it's you know he's now going through what I went through a year ago, mm. and you know even before that, you know I think when you come from situations where you're you know you don't have a whole lot of personal wealth to fall back on, yeah. building a business and taking some entering a, an area where there's just you know incredible amounts of risk, financial risk that you're taking it creates its own challenges and there are a lot of times when you know we can look back and both say yeah you know it'd be a lot easier uh, if i could do this thing or you know manage i i did another piece talking about st- student loans and the drag those create um or helping my mother with things and you know there are a lot of those areas where it's just challenging and mm-hmm. i think my wife you know she was a consultant for a number of years so she was the stable more stable income (laughs) Mm -hmm. and she uh she moved into education so we're now both very mission driven but there was a time when that wouldn't have made as much sense because the business was in a more precarious position so i think it's more thinking about how do you how do you balance the two and less thinking about exactly for us it was at least less thinking about whether or not we continue to pursue this i think Building the business for us has always been the easier piece. It's the it's been kind of managing it around your your personal challenges.
1: That's good. So, so what roles do you guys do differently? So, Gil, you tell me what you do, and Carlos, what do you do outside of Gil's Gil's role?
3: I spend most of my time on the um, operational side of the house. So, I um, oversee the product, the technology, the data, the operations, and still. Support a lot of the um, relationship with some of our large accounts and implementations, mm-hmm. but as we've grown as a business i've uh, stepped a little bit back. I think you know you always the sales part and the fundraising front is always part of a founder's job description, but as we've grown, I think I've uh, been able to focus a little bit more on the on the delivery side of the house while Gila spends most of the time on the growth side um, in the bD front and uh, maintaining those relationships
1: right. So Gil, how are you growing the business today, and what's the business doing in terms of revenue or customer reach, um, whatever numbers you, you've got publicly available?
2: We're in thirty-five states. We serve about five thousand primary care providers on the platform, mm. where and so we've seen fantastic growth. We we knew from very early on we were onto something from an interaction perspective, but you know, timing the market and getting those things right where people are really uh, demanding this. Mm. Um, That was something that you can look back over any journey and very, very clearly uh, see the points in which you you know, you had luck as a factor. So we we lucked into a market that was really, really excited about what we were doing. Uh, And so we've seen really great growth. A lot of what we do is we target states, so we're in 35 states, but they're areas where we've focused our efforts. California, Texas, Colorado, and um, you know the Northeast have been really the regions where we've spent um, a good amount of our time and, and resources.
1: Okay, so you've raised... Seven million dollars. How does your current revenue compare to to the funds that you've raised? And how do you feel about you know those returns for uh, I guess your your investors? I mean, being VC funded is always I guess always creates pressure on on new guys as founders. How do you manage that process?
3: I think we've been um, incredibly lucky with investors. We've uh, been able to get on board since the beginning. They've been very supportive, very excited with the business. In healthcare, as opposed to tech, uh, the growth dynamics are different. Mm. Particularly for companies like ours, where as we grow, we're also targeting larger and larger partners. So, growing now with uh, with a hospital or a health plan involves a much more detailed um, sales process, and you know, sales cycle implementation is more complex. There are things that need to be done in a more structured way. But overall, we've seen phenomenal growth. I think the the fact that our investors keep reinvesting in every round, so their commitment and, and how um, excited they've been with the, the positive growth of the business.
4: And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. That was Mr. Gil Addo and Mr. Carlos Reigns. Unfortunately, our recording got cut short, but I hope you got as much as I did out of that interview. It was an amazing story how Gil and Carlos have shaped Rubicon MD and brought it to where it is today, serving over five thousand customers right around the United States of America. And uh, you know, people's lives are being changed tangibly. Their medical conditions are being turned around because they're able to access this specialist care, and all because Gil found this idea out as a result of his grandmother going through um, health challenges and having to travel in and out of Boston from Barbados in order to see a specialist. And it, out of adversity came this great idea that is helping thousands of people. My question to you is, what idea do you have that could impact lives out there, that could impact people, generations to come, that could save people, that could encourage people to move forward or make life easier, provide new products, new services? So find a way to get that idea birth. Find people who you can partner with Gil found Carlos and together they found their first angel investor together they found people who were able to trial they do the clinical trials with their product so it's just an amazing thing that they have walked us through step by step and to where they are at today and continuing to grow continuing to seek additional growth opportunities so i hope you're encouraged i hope you had as much fun as i did Gil and Carlos thank you so much for being here on the business journals podcast and for sharing your story with us. You guys are true Business Generals. Ladies and gentlemen, Davis Mutawa signing out. Have a great day. Ciao.
0: Thank you for listening to the Business Generals podcast. Connect with us at businessgenerals.com and grab the full show notes and access a ton of free resources. Subscribe to the Business Generals podcast so that you do not miss an episode and help us reach more people by leaving us a positive review on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. We look forward to your company on our next episode. Until then, remember that you are a true business general. The Business Generals Podcast, helping you maximize your startup business ideas, take control of your personal finances, and get the most out of your professional career.